Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. If you have a Bible, uh, go with me to Mark chapter 10. If you need one, raise your hand, and one of our ushers will uh, hand you one. For the next two weeks, uh, it's typically every September we come back to our vision, who we are as a church, why we do what we do. And so for the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching along those lines. And then uh, on the third week of September, I am absolutely thrilled and excited to start off a three-month series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so beginning mid-September, three months or as the Spirit leads us. And so um, I'm very excited to, to go through that. And over the last few months, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and in study and in Scripture around uh, the person and work of the Spirit, and I really can't wait to see what God's going to do in our midst. Uh, But today, I want to introduce our guest speaker. One of my greatest passions is preaching, and very close to that passion to preaching is my love for training preachers. And so a couple of years ago, without any fanfare or so, I started a New Life School of Preachers, which is my attempt to fan into flame the gifts that I see are present in our church that folks in our church have a gift of communication, a gift of preaching, and my job, one of my jobs, is to fan into flame and cultivate and and nurture those gifts in people. And so every year, my hope is to train a number of preachers, and this is uh, the the folks that I'm training this year, minus Brunel, Brunel um, is in that as well. And there are two reasons why I'm training preachers. Number one is because beyond it being a passion of mine, I want to see people flourish in the gifts that God has given them. I want to see people flourish there. In addition to that, as we think about new congregations at New Life, and and we're continuing to build the the structure and the foundation for new congregations around the city at New Life, a New Life Fellowship in other parts of the city, in order to do that, a real important part of that is preaching ministry. And my hope is to send out preaching teams to new congregations uh, to use their gifts in those contexts. And so today, I'm thrilled that one of, uh, one of my preaching students is, is preaching today. Uh, many of you know Chelsea uh, Whitfield. Chelsea is one of the leaders in our Washington Heights community. And so if you live near Washington Heights, at the end of the service, Chelsea will be downstairs in the lobby. And so make sure you connect with her. If you live nearby there and you're looking for some community, it's a great place to connect. Uh, Chelsea also works with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is um, a campus ministry. She works with international students at Columbia University. And I, in my, the time that I've gotten to know Chelsea, I've been really, um, I just love her passion for God and, and love uh, her heart to see other people get to know Jesus as well. And I believe she has really an amazing future in the kingdom of God. And so this is her first time preaching at New Life. And um, listen, whenever we have a guest speaker coming, we give them a big, a guest, an outside speaker. We give them a big ovation. Chelsea is a new lifer. She's one of us. And so we're going to do the same for her. And so join me as Chelsea comes up to lead us in Scripture. Good morning. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. My name is Chelsea Whitfield. I'm a member here at New Life. When I'm not here at New Life, like Rich said, I'm on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Columbia University. I honestly never would have imagined when I started coming here less than two years ago, sitting right up there in the balcony, that I would be up front preaching on a Sunday morning, but I am honored to be given the opportunity to share a word from the Lord with you today. Let me pray for us. 
Holy Spirit, we invite you to breathe new life into us this morning. God, would we enter into this time with the expectation that we will be changed? God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have for us today. Amen. I wonder if any of you have ever set out to do something only to find that it required much more than you originally thought. Maybe you set out on a dieting plan that required you to give up all of your favorite foods. You gave up eating delicious cornet pizza and started eating things like kale and kombucha, whatever that is. Maybe you set out to get a graduate degree only to find that it required much more sleepless nights and coffee overdoses than you anticipated. I know when I first set out to come on staff with InterVarsity, it wasn't long before I realized that this job was going to cost me much more than I expected. The first step, raising full financial support, slowly started stripping me of my pride, my need for security, all of these fears and insecurities about money that I didn't realize were so deeply rooted in me from my family of origin started coming up. Next, I started to realize that pioneering an evangelistic movement among international students on campus could be incredibly lonely, even awkward at times. Dealing with rejection and sometimes flaky students made me wonder, what did I get myself into? I think when many of us signed up for this whole following Jesus gig, we might have realized that it turned out to be more than we bargained for. The truth is that following Jesus requires more than we thought, but it also offers more than we could ever dream of. We see this theme all throughout the Bible. God requires more than we thought, but he also offers more than we could ever dream of. In our text today, we encounter a man whom Jesus required much of, and we see his response. Our text today is from the Gospel of Mark. It's a good 15 verses, and I want to get the, through the whole thing, so I'm just going to ask you to stick with me. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Now the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Here we see a man who is wealthy in more ways than one. Yes, he has significant financial wealth, but he also has great moral wealth. While other young boys were playing games in Hebrew school, this young man had hit the books. When I look at this young man, I see someone who has got his stuff together. I mean, he's an all-around upstanding guy. Heck, he even has the humility to acknowledge that there might be ways that he could improve. I think if this man walked into the room today, we'd probably think that he was a, a really great guy. I mean, he's successful, humble, smart, spiritual, hardworking. What's not to like? If you met this man today, he might be someone that you aspire to be like, someone who you vote to be on the elder board of your church. But despite his impressive resume, he has a nagging hunch that perhaps there's something he's missing. He approaches Jesus with great respect and urgency, falling on his knees before him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus responds in his usual fashion by answering a man's question with a question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He then lists several of the commandments, all having to do with relationship towards one's neighbor. And the man breezes past Jesus' question, and he declares, Teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, some might be skeptical of this, but let's just assume that he's telling the truth and he truly is morally excellent. I imagine that the young man is checking boxes in his head. He's like, yep, I got that, did that, check. But what am I missing? What's left to do, Jesus? And Jesus sees these internal calculations going on in the man's mind and he looks at him with love. You're just missing one thing, he says. Just one? Okay, well, that's not so bad. Well, what is it? And here's where Jesus shakes things up. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. Come again. <laughs> the man thinks he's just inches away from scoring 100% on the test, and then Jesus demolishes his whole scoring system. And the man's like, wait, Jesus, I didn't see that one in the textbook. By asking the man to do something that is impossible for him to do out of his own strength, Jesus destroys the man's religious ideology. You see, the man approaches Jesus with the assumption that life with God 
is like an academic pursuit or an extracurricular activity. The man assumes that life with God is like an academic pursuit or an extracurricular activity. Score enough points and you'll pass the test. Add enough goodness to your life and your resume is sure to impress. But Jesus flips his assumptions upside down and he asks something that is very hard for the man. The text says the request makes the man's face fall and causes him to go away sad. Now, why is Jesus' request so difficult? And why does the man go away sad? Well, Jesus gets personal. Jesus has a way of doing that. Maybe you've experienced it. He sees beyond the man's moral report card, and what he sees, it's not good. You have cancer, is basically what Jesus is saying. You're sick, and you don't even know it. Your love of money, it's going to kill you. Except that's not what the man hears. He hears, you have to give up your treasure. The thing that you've worked so hard for, the very thing that people use to identify you. This story is referred to as the rich young man, after all. Your greatest hopes and dreams and ambitions, you have to give them all up. I imagine this deep-rooted fear starts welling up within the man. I mean, Jesus is asking him to give up something that for years has been at the very core of his identity. This man's wealth has gained him the admiration of many. It's given him a sense of security. This man had worked hard for his money and he earned it with integrity. There's an underlying belief in Jewish culture that wealth was a blessing from God. It's a sign that you had been a moral person. What would people think if he were to lose it all? The young man counts the cost and the price, it's too high. He goes away sad, unable to part with his wealth. Many people today find it hard to enter the kingdom of God. And this is not because God is withholding some sort of information from us or that he's hiding the keys to the kingdom, but like the rich young man, many of us have things in our lives that we are attached to that cause us to turn away sad. Over the years, I've had some opportunities to witness to Indian international students from a Hindu background. And what I found is for the most part that Hindus have no problem with Jesus. Many Hindus will acknowledge Jesus as God and even welcome him into their homes. And if you walk into a Hindu home in India that's been visited by Christian missionaries, you'll often see an image of Jesus on the shelf among an assortment of other gods. Now, while this may seem so obviously wrong to those of us in the Western church, the danger is that we don't realize that we do the same thing. We treat Jesus like an add-on. We hold on to our other gods, our wealth, our relationships, our careers, our greatest hopes and dreams, and we add Jesus to the shelf. Now, what are some of the idols on our shelves in Elmhurst? Maybe it's pursuing the American dream, or making our families proud, maintaining our honor. I know for me, it's 
managing my image, making sure everyone thinks highly of me. That's what's on my shelf. What's on yours? Jesus is not something that we add on to our lives. He doesn't fit nicely on the shelf. No, when you invite Jesus into your home, it's time to do an extreme home makeover. When you invite Jesus into your home, you need to be willing to hand over the keys and the homeowner's paperwork to him. Here in New York City, not all of us know what it's like to own a home, but imagine, instead of turning in a monthly rent check, after years of faithful mortgage payments, you finally pay off your New York City apartment. You sit down in your comfy living room chair and you breathe a deep sigh of relief. Now imagine that Jesus shows up at your doorstep and asks you to hand over the keys. I mean, is Jesus a manipulative killjoy? Does he want us to live a life of poverty? Why does he ask for so much? The problem is that each of us has things in our lives that we're so attached to that we're blinded to what Jesus is actually offering. Did you notice that the man never shows any sign of curiosity as to why Jesus would make such an outrageous request of him? His attachment to his wealth is so strong that he doesn't even inquire what it would look like to follow Jesus. Most of you in this room, you have a mapped out trajectory for your life. Maybe it's a five, 10, 20 year plan. Maybe your trajectory looks something like this. Go to college, get a job, get married, buy a house, have kids, earn enough money to retire comfortably. The desired pathway of your life is onwards and upwards. What if there was another way? We have been so conditioned in our culture to follow this trajectory that many of us have never considered that maybe Jesus has more to offer. I mentioned last week as we were taking up the offering that this summer I took 10 college students to Calcutta to spend some time among people living in slum communities through a program that InterVarsity offers called the Global Urban Trek. Now these students chose to give up summer internship opportunities among other things to see if perhaps Jesus had another way. If you're in college or you've ever been to college, you may have at some point in time gone to a career fair. Now the Global Urban Trek exists because while at a career fair, there might be networking opportunities in the fields of finance or marketing, there will not be a booth inviting you to move into an urban slum community to see how God might use your education and skill set there. It's just not one of the options on the table. This summer, 10 students were given a sneak preview of what following Jesus on the road of downward mobility to gain treasure in heaven might look like. The trouble is most of the time we don't even ask the question. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Do we think Jesus is a liar? Jesus knows what our personal idols are, whether they are money, security, status, 
affirmation. He knows the thing that you're so attached to that is keeping you from seeing what life could be like in the kingdom of God. Now, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, as I ask myself, what is it that would make me turn away sad? Now, even now, you might feel the Holy Spirit starting to get personal, starting to zero in on a particular area of your life. Maybe he's saying that relationship that you're in, that you know is not honoring me, it's got to go. That bonus you got at work, here's how I want you to use it. That title that you're thirsting after, it won't satisfy. The rich young man doesn't see that he's holding on to a treasure that pales in comparison to what Jesus is offering. He makes up his mind that life with God is not worth it and he retreats to his rich young man cave to sit upon his pile of gold. Now, as someone reading this gospel text from an outside perspective, I want to yell to the man, hey, come back. Don't you see what you're missing? Don't you see that Jesus wants to give you the kingdom? The young man is missing one thing, and it's not giving away his money. It's treasure in heaven. Jesus wants him to know, I am your treasure. If you have me and only me, you're rich. You have your eye on the wrong prize. Turn back around, let go of what you think will satisfy and take hold of what I have to offer. If you rely on me for your standing before God, I'll make you good. Your inheritance is available to you, not because of anything you've done, but because of who I am. I am your righteousness. I am the one who makes you justified before God. Jesus looks at the man, and he loves him. By asking the man for everything, what he's really doing is he's offering him his freedom. He's offering him a way out of his self-induced captivity. Now, what does it look like to respond differently than the rich young man? What does it look like to take our eyes off of our attachments and to turn to Jesus? It's to recognize that Jesus is the treasure we've been longing for. He's the pearl of great price. And he's not some poor Wimpy Savior begging for our acceptance. Jesus doesn't want our acceptance. He doesn't need it. He wants our lives. Friends, we have found in Christ someone who's worth losing everything for. Amen. And it's scary. Not just letting go of our stuff, but of some of those deeper things. Our identity, our power can make us feel vulnerable. You know, almost like we're poor. But Jesus wants to make us free. As Henry Nouwen says that the great paradox, which scripture reveals to us, is that real and total freedom is only found through downward mobility. The word of God came down to us and lived among us as a peasant the divine way is indeed the downward way, and so the downward road is not the road to hell, but the road to heaven. 
Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In my hands I have a beggar's bowl. It's a tactile prayer device that I've begun using in my times with God. Now this bull reminds me, when I let go of my attachments and come to Jesus, that he promises to give me everything I need. Now here's the thing, Jesus can't fill my bowl if it's already filled to the brim with other things. If it's already full with all of the things that I think will satisfy me apart from him. Many of you know that one of our core values here at New Life is that we are a monastic community. Sue Bender in her book, Everyday Sacred, talks about begging bowls in the monastic life. She says, all I know about a begging bowl is that each day a monk goes out with his empty bowl in his hands. Whatever is placed inside the bowl will be his nourishment for the day. So each day in my times with God, I sit in silence with this little bowl in my hand, offering to God all that I have, all that I am, and asking him to give me what I need for the day. I set an expectation that Jesus will fill this little bowl with everything that I need. Rowan Williams talks about poverty as the secret luxury of the monastic life. He says, free from material anxiety and the complications of ownership, the monk can enjoy everything or be happy with nothing. But as Syncletica, one of the great mothers of the desert suggests, Poverty needs to be situated within the whole con economy of the virtues. Just as a proud virgin is less than a humble profligate, so poverty needs to be seen not merely in terms of things, but of fundamental attitudes and non-possessiveness. New Life Fellowship, Jesus is inviting us to cultivate an attitude of non-possessiveness to be free of the things that capture our affections and blind us from the abundant life that he has to offer. Maybe you're here today and you're in business. What does it look like to let go of your identity being found in climbing the corporate ladder? Maybe you're a parent. What does it look like to recognize that after all the love that you've poured into your child, your child does not belong to you? to offer them to Jesus with open hands. Maybe you're a single person who desires to be married. What does it look like to lift that desire before Jesus with empty palms?
Jesus is inviting us to stand before him with empty hands, trusting that he will give us everything that we need and more. So I want to invite you even now to extend your empty hands before the Lord. You can even shape them like a little beggar's bowl. And I want to invite the worship team up at this time. And let's pray. Lord, hollow us out. Hollow us out of our selfish ambition, our lust for more, our need for security, affirmation, success. Hollow us out of the kingdoms of our own making that we may carry you, God. And fill us up that we may be emptied again to the glory of Jesus Christ, who's worthy of it all, even our very lives. Amen. Amen. Let's show Chelsea some love here. Let's all stand together. We just heard the word of God uh, very clearly uh, spoken to us today. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. And I love so many things that Chelsea said. We become so blind because we're so attached to things that we miss out on what Jesus is offering. And Jesus is saying to us, I am your treasure. And discipleship, every single day, our discipleship is essentially an act of becoming unattached to those things that have identified us and attaching ourselves to Jesus. And it is only the, the things that we attach ourselves, they, they bring, uh, almost, for some of us, a slavery. But when we attach ourselves to Christ, he offers a liberation, a freedom that the world cannot offer. So what are you attached to today? What is that thing that if God began to remove it, you would walk away sad? Is it security? You want everything like around you comfortable? You know what's next? Is it comfort? What is the thing that Jesus wants to strip you off of, it, of an over-attachment so that he can offer you true riches and true treasure? Our prayer team is to my right. And for some of you today, you know what you've been attached to. For some of you, it's been an addiction drugs, pornography, just dehumanizing ways that have uh, sort of deformed you in some way, the image of God. And you want freedom. And Jesus is here to offer you freedom. The life that God has for us is a life of freedom, of attaching ourselves to Jesus. And the way towards freedom is not by more moral effort or trying harder. It's by an encounter with the presence of God liberating us from the things that we can't liberate ourselves from. And so, in a moment, I'm going to close our, our service here, and our prayer team is to my right. And I believe God uh, wants to set some people free today. I really believe that. And for some of you today, you said, I'm rich, I'm in bondage, I'm in chains. And God wants to set you free. And so our worship team will be here. If you sense God leading, just come up front. And to my left, we have the Lord's table. 
where we attach ourselves to Jesus by taking bread, dipping it into the cup. We are attaching ourselves to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That as we die to things, he promises us resurrection and newness of life. And so if you'd like to receive that, you can come up the center aisle. Vanimba will be here to give you that. And we have our prayer team here to my right. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. cannot give what you do not possess and God wants to offer you a freedom that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away and so with your hands in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God may the Lord bless you and may he keep you may he shine his face upon you May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, unattached to the things of life that has so identified you, the good, the bad, the ugly. And may you attach yourself to the living Jesus. And may you experience a freedom and liberation this week, a lightness, a joy, a gentleness. May the Holy Spirit do something inside of you that you cannot do on your own. And may you offer that freedom to the world around you wherever you go. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.